Thank you for coming here this morning. Glad you guys made the choice to join us. Everybody doing all right today? All right, good, good. Well, we're getting closer to the end of this uh, text as we've been working through 2 Timothy. And you may remember when we started this series, we talked about the aspect or the fact that this is the very last letter that Paul writes before his death. And I was thinking about that this week, how it can tell a lot about what somebody prioritizes and what they elevate by what they're saying on the last days of their life. And I was thinking, man, if you could imagine if you knew that today was your last day and you're handed a couple sheets of paper to write to the people that you care about the most, what would be some of the things you would want to make sure you were saying? Probably some things that were pretty important to you, right? Some things that were, the, that were elevated, some things that were a priority in your life. And that's what we're going to see here this morning is, as Paul's writing to his younger pastor friend that he's been investing in for years and years. He has some important things to say. And if I were to summarize this section of scripture, really it would be in two words. The charge that he's giving to Timothy in, the, in this section of scripture is this, is to run hard to run hard. That's the, that's the charge that he's giving. And I don't know if you guys can reflect back into your life, maybe a, a stretch where you've ever been called to response where you actually had to run really hard, really fast. I'm not talking about one of those like casual runs or the speed walking thing that people do. Uh, no offense if you do that. Uh, but, but I'm talking one of the, the, the lungs burning, sweat pouring, knees hurting, that kind of a run where you're just giving it your all. That's the kind of run that we're talking about in their text this morning. I was thinking about times in my life where I've been called to run really hard. And I was thinking, I went to a, a pretty conservative uh, Baptist college in Ohio called Cedarville University. And uh, the, the ladies wore skirts and we had a curfew. And so it was pretty... Uh, High school students, you're like, no way, not going there. But uh, but one of the things that we found uh, humor in was after they had a, a curfew, and so we found fun in after. This is maybe revealing too much, but after the the curfew, we would find t- opportunity to sneak out and get the campus safety guys to be chasing us. And we found humor because what else do you do living in Ohio? You know, like what else do you do? There's not a whole lot of, uh, of options there. And so one particular night, we all dressed up in black and there was the, the, the campus was right next to this field that had all the farmers at the end of the season, they roll up their big bales of hay, if you've seen that before. And they're like, not like a bale of hay, but the ones that are like taller than a person. And we decided, why don't we push one of those into the main center part of campus at the four-point stop. So we, so we rolled with five of us, rolled that sucker in there, and we're just waiting. We're, we've got a lookout. We're waiting to see who's going to like come and take us out. We're ready to go. We're waiting, waiting. We're like, we did all of this right in the center of campus and nobody came. So they have this, this bell that was also a, a nostalgic thing on the campus. And we said, well, if nobody heard that, maybe they'll hear the bell. And, uh, and, so, and so we started dinging this thing, waiting to have somebody chase us. And so sure enough, uh, we weren't disappointed. So sure enough, out of, out of the shadows comes a guy dressed in all black. He had prepared for this moment and he comes out of the bushes and he says to, says to us, if you run, you're in even more trouble. What do you think we did? We're out of there. So we're, we're, just, we're just booking it. We're, we're sprinting as hard as we could. And of, of all the people, of all the five guys for this guy to choose to chase, guess who he chose? 
me. And maybe it was the, the black wig that I was wearing down to my waist that, that drew him to chase me. But uh, so I'm sprinting across the field. You can picture the hair flowing. But after a while, I'm like, man, this older guy's pretty fast. My lungs are burning. My, I, I, my, my, my sweat's pouring. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to lose this guy. But, but I did. And I, I live to tell that story now, uh, many, many years later, and may, hopefully a little bit mature, more mature later, maybe a little. Uh, but, but the thing that, that came to mind, I was thinking, man, what if that kind of run was the definer of us as we're thinking back to, man, as we reflect back on our days, our Christian walk, man, I ran hard. It wasn't a casual stroll. It wasn't a walk in the park. It wasn't a speed walk. It wasn't a light jog. It was a hard-fought run. My question for us this morning is, is that a descriptor of how we're approaching the Christian walk? Would that be an appropriate description as you're reflecting on how you're doing this whole Christianity thing? Is it a a casual walk or is it a hard run? Our prayer today after diving into the text is I'll move a little bit more towards that hard run idea. Let me pray for us as we dive in. God, we thank you so much for your word and the things that it calls us to, maybe not representing a current reality, but a desired future. God, we recognize we can't do any of this apart from your Holy Spirit moving and working in us. We're grateful for that. We pray now that you'd speak through your words here in 2 Timothy. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you guys want to turn with me, uh, it's so much easier to follow along in these uh, messages. If you have a Bible in front of you, they're in the pew in front or the chair in front of you. If you want to grab those, we're going to be in 2 Timothy 4, looking at verses 1 through 8 there. So a Bible in hand or phone or whatever device you do that with. Um, verse 1, we're going to see, we're going to go through here in the text four different things that a runner should know. And this wasn't a, a Nike commercial, but the idea was this, is that there are some critical things in the way that we think that then determines the way that we run. Take a look at the first one that we're going to point out in the, in the first section here. Know who is watching God and Jesus. Take a look. Verse 1 says this. I charge you, urgent tone, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. It's funny, we'll pause there for a second. We tend to perform differently based on our audience. I don't know if you guys have ever had some kind of a, a scenario where you have a lot of people that are listening or observing that you tend to, to respond according to that, maybe in a debate or maybe in, 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 a, in a job who's in the, in the, the conference room. Uh, you tend to respond differently based on who your audience is, right? There's a, there's a tendency toward that. I think back to a, a good friend of mine. We were playing basketball at one point and uh, up until this point, his, his name's Mark. He, I'd never seen seen him really even even touch the rim or do anything remotely athletic there's a young lady that he was interested in that showed up at this uh, the, the this sports facility he started doing sideways dunks reverse dunks i was like 
what in the world? He's like, I don't know where it came from. And, uh, and I was like, I know where it came from. This girl named Karen that he went on to marry. But it was fu- fun to see how, how motivated, motivation comes a lot of time by being aware of who's watching, who's observing what's going on. And I think it's fascinating in this text that, that Paul's very aware of this. He says, in the presence of God, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, in the presence, Paul, at this very low point in his life, remember where he's at, right? A, a prison cell? Like a, a lot of people would even point to that this is potentially in a, in, a, in, a, in a hole that's been dug out, pitch black, miserable existence. What is he aware of? He's aware who's present there right with him. Jesus Christ, God's with me through, through even this worst point in my life, in the presence of God. But then I think it's also fascinating that, that Jesus isn't just a casual bystander. What does it say? In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who does what? Who is to judge the living and the dead. To judge the living and the dead. He's not just a bystander. He's actually there judging our actions. Do we live as if this is a reality? That's my question. I was wrestling through that this week. Do we live as if we're being watched? Not just like a casual, like, oh yeah, I noticed he's over there, but someone that's watching and making judgment on our actions. That's kind of a radical reality to actually think about that it was uh, just as you're looking at the text. Scripture actually points to three different types of of judgment that are coming in, in, the, in the life of, uh, 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 in, our, in our life. The first one I want to point out to you in Matthew 25, it talks about the first judgment between the sheep and the goats. The sheep and the goats. The sheep to represent those who have submitted to Jesus Christ, who have made him Lord and Savior, and the goats representing those that are obstinate, that have chosen to refuse and go their own way. So it's the separation of believers and unbelievers. That's a pretty serious judgment that's racing upon each and every one of us. It's a critical one to have on the radar. So sheep and goats, separation of believers and non-believers. Then another one that's mentioned in Scripture in Revelations 20, it's referred to as the great white throne judgment. And this judgment is for unbelievers only. This is for those that have said no thank you to Jesus Christ's offer of his death and, and sacrifice of, of his life and then his resurrection as payment for our sins. Those of us that have said no thanks, I'll, I'll pass on that. This is the judgment that, that's coming for them. It's called the, described as the great white throne judgment. And in Revelations 20, it talks about being cast into the, the, the pit of hell for eternal punishment. It's a crazy reality. It's a crazy reality of our existence that's a part of those that are making the choice to live independent of God. Then a third judgment that we see here, we also see it in 2 Corinthians 5.10, is referred to as the, the judgment called the Bema Seat, which is an interesting, interesting name there. And this is for believers only. The, when, so the goats have been separated from the sheep. Then the, the, the goats then receive their judgment. The sheep receive theirs. The Bema Seat is for those who are believers. And it's actually still based on their works. But now it's a little different approach. It's not moving towards punishment. It's moving towards reward. Those of us that have embraced Jesus Christ, we, we've been, what did that song say? We've been set free. Like, like there's, the, 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 there's no gavel. Like, we're, we're independent. We're separated from our sin as far as the east is from the west. But our actions are still being judged for what? 
for reward. For reward, there's a, there's a party at the end of this where the things that we do for Christ and in his name are celebrated. It's a cool thing. It's something to be motivated for us as a, as a believer that should compel us towards action. So th- this, it talks even later in the text again about this idea of rewards at the end of the line. So the fact that we're being watched, we're being judged, that should compel us to run hard, right? It should compel us to run hard. So the first thing, know who is watching. Then the second thing that we see in the text, as the second motivator that every runner should know, is to know the goal. Know the goal, to preach the word. That's the goal. We're going to see here in the text as he continues. So he, goes, he starts with this, hey, I charge you to do this. And he goes into who's watching. And then what does he say? And by his appearing in his kingdom to do what? Preach the word. Preach the word. This, this, this charge, I, I think of like a, a rallying of people together to say like, hey, let's make sure that the main thing is the main thing. One of the things my wife and I had fun doing over the years, we actually, when we were living on the university campus at Judson, we were asked to be the coach, opposing coaches for these powder puff football games. Anybody else know what a powder puff football game is? It's when the, the, the young ladies choose to compete in this game that was clearly designed for men. It, it was clearly designed for men. Like it, it, it's tough to see. I mean, not, not to say that there aren't some ladies that might veer towards the football range, but, uh, but typically more so designed towards the way that we're wired up. And so I saw that firsthand when we were coaching these young ladies. And I had this thing that I did. I realized every single year that I had to do this rally and I had to pull people together, the girls on the team. And I had to say, listen, there's one thing I want you to remember We want to do short passes or run. No long passes. Because what would happen after that huddle? We'd go back to the next play. Somebody would throw this long floating pass in the air. And what would happen? Interception. Stick to short passes, running the ball. It was like, it was like my, my, I felt like I had to say that 500 times in the course of this game. It was the main thing for them to stay focused on. It was the main thing. It was the main priority and why I kept beating my wife every year. Uh, no, that's not true. We went back and forth. Uh, but but the, the, the fun thing with this text is he's saying, listen, if I'm to get down to the main thing, what you're spo- as a runner, what's the goal? What is the thing that you're supposed to be about? What is it about? Preach the word. Preach the word. And a lot of times we see that and we're like, well, yeah, that's, that's right for you, pe- preacher man. You're supposed to preach the word. But, but think about what, what actually the word preach means. What does the word preach means? It means to proclaim proclaim truth. And proclaiming is a call that's on every single one of our lives. It's placed on every single one of our lives. It's not just me. It's all of us have this same charge to preach the word. Preach the word. Romans 10, 13 says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Now, how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Without someone preaching. It continues. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's a call for each of us to preach the word. When? When are we supposed to do that? Look as it continues in verse 2. Be ready in season 
and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Like the words there, be ready. Be ready. How are we ready to, to preach the word? We gotta be, we talked about it last week. We gotta stay in it ourselves. It needs, there needs to be a daily diet of it. It has to be, it has to be re, a routine in our life. There's no such thing as a, somebody that's strong spiritually that's not in the word. We have to be ready. Part of the way we're ready is by staying in the word. But then for what? It says in season and out of season. In season or out of season. That's this idea of whether it's convenient or not. Whether it's well received or not well received. Do you feel like we have a, a world that's like open to some idea of an authority figure and absolute truth? Is that typically well received to, to the people around us? Or are they like, yeah, like tell me what I'm supposed to do? Like, no. So there's, there's not necessarily ever a season where it's like, oh yes, let me, let me have this authority of God's word over me. No, there's a, a piece of this in preaching the word that goes against some opposition. That's why he keeps saying through this entire book, he's saying, listen, you're gonna expect to be opposed, expect to experience opposition. And what does it say to do with God's word? It's supposed to be something that's passionate. It's supposed to be a plea, but look what he says, always ready to do what? To reprove rebuke and exhort, to reprove. The idea of reprove there is to correct when you're wrong, to correct when you're wrong. Proverbs 9, 8 says a wise man loves reproof. He loves it. He loves to see when he's wrong, to have that pointed out to him. The word rebuke, the second one there that we're called to, is kind of like the, the, the term saying, knock it off, knock it off, cut it out. Stop what you're doing. Someone needs to tell a lot of us, I think in the life of an adult believer, there's not a whole lot of rebuke. I've noticed as you get older, there's less and less accountability and less and less people actually calling you out for your junk. Have you guys noticed that as adults? That like, man, if you're not careful, if you're not surrounding yourself with people that'll speak truth into your life, there's not a whole lot of rebuke. But rebuke is a key piece in God's word. It's an important and critical part. I was thinking that in uh, this last week in the context of my own family. I've, this is me being a little bit vulnerable. So I was, I was thinking about uh, my kids. I've noticed that my kids have gotten kind of pretty easily irritable, like pretty, like pretty easily upset. Like I've noticed that like they'll get fired up about little stuff and you're like, why are you getting so angry? Like what, what's going on in your, your little heart at such a, such a young age? Where's, where's that coming from? And really I, I, I sense that God was telling me that like, you know where that's coming from? It's coming from the example that's being modeled to him. I'm too easily irritable. I'm too, too, too short of a fuse if I'm not careful, if I'm not cautious of it. And, and really, if we're honest with ourselves, the kid, our kids tend to model what we do, right? And so my, I was talking to my wife about that and I was saying, you know what, let, let's talk about this because man, I don't want that to be the tide in the direction that our family goes. It just ends up being like just easily mad, easily angered all the time. And, I, and we had a little family chat and I said, I apologize to the kids. I, I said, I just feel like lately I've been just too easily angered and, and irritable. And, and I noticed that it's coming out in you guys. I was, I was challenging them on that. Adrian and I were on the same page with this. And, and so I, we said to the kids, I said, I want you guys to start calling it out on us. I want you to start calling us. When you feel like we're getting too easily angered, why don't you say it? Why don't you, why don't you say that to us? And we'll hold each other as a family accountable for this. And so it was interesting to see that play out. And in the, in the, in the days to follow, my, my son was pretty, he, he hopped on the train pretty quickly. The next time he was in trouble, 
he, he, it's a little Chase is like, Dad, you're getting too easily angered. I'm like, no, this is righteous anger. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, and so there's, uh, there, there, we're, we're, still, we're, we're still working on that as a family, but the idea of, of, of rebuke, the idea of, of rebuke, the knock it off piece needs to be a part of our life. And I've really felt convicted to share that with you here this morning. Fair? All right, so re- approve, rebuke. And the next one is a, a little bit more encouraging, the exhort, the idea of gently urging, kind of like a cheerleader effect. I think not only do we call out the junk in each other's life, I think it's also important to celebrate when we're doing good stuff, right? Like that's, that's just as reinforcing for us from God's word as anything. It's just like, man, when we see the good, exhort, encourage, spur that on, and you, you, wanna, you want that to, to continue. So all three of those are things that we're called to. But make sure that we understand that we're called to those done, what does it say in the text? Done in patience, patience. Earlier in, the, in, in chapter two, we saw talked about doing it in gentleness, gently correcting. That, that's the key to this. That's so important. A lot of us are like, yeah, I'm great at the rebuke. I'm re- great at the reprove. But what about the gentleness, the, the, the patience in that? Wanting to make sure that it's like a, a mentality of teaching, teaching them, helping them to grow in that area, helping each other as believers. This is, this is not just for parents, kids. This is for, this is for small groups. This is for fellow believers. This is for husbands, wives. This is for us engaging with the non-believing world around us. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. It goes on and it, and it says, man, this is the environment that we're doing this in. Ver, verse three says, for the, the time is coming, I'd propose it's already here, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Wander off into myths. I think that's an interesting section of portrayal. A time is coming when people won't endure. They won't put up with this idea of, of absolute truth and, and that God's word is, is, is relevant to their life right now. People get, want, get itchy ears. That's kind of a weird picture of itchy ears. Kind of, ears are kind of gross to me. Like, what's going on in there? And like the, like the itchy, itchy ears, what's making it itch? The idea of wanting to hear what people want, to, what they want it to say. I thinking it moves people to actually believing myths. Myths, the idea of something that's just not true. What are some of those myths look like? You could probably come up with your own list of myths. I thought of a, of a few that, that we see. One of the myths that I think is pretty prevalent in our, in our culture around us is the idea of embracing all religions. All religions. You know what? You know, we all believe in, in God and there's, there's just different paths to get there. There's just different. How often do you he- hear that in, a, in our culture? That tickles the ear. It sounds great. Like the unity. Let's all sing Kumbaya. But what do you do? What do you do when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. What do you do with that? What do you do? What do you do with that? How, that's that's not an embracing statement. That's saying there is a way to God, and it's defined through Jesus Christ. So not all world religions are under that same umbrella. So making sure that we don't get sucked into that myth of like, you know what? Whatever you believe, that's fine. It'll end up in the same spot. Nope, that's not accurate. So what? what wandering to myths. One is the idea of embracing all religions. Another myth is that you need more than the Bible as a source of truth. 
That's another one that's huge. Just like, well, that's a valid point that scripture brings out. But I see this viewpoint pointed out here. People kind of take a best of, of worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And that's how they shape their, 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 their worldview. It's a dangerous thing when you start saying like, yeah, well, that's, that's nice that it says that uh, about, uh, uh, about leadership in scripture, about a, a role of a man and woman. But yeah, but that's not really what I I believe. What? What, what? What's happening there? What's happening there is you're allowing, you're, you're, you're basically saying that you need more than what the Bible has to say. Another one that, another myth, the last one I wanted to point out, and you probably have your own list. The other myth that I've noticed is that, you know, we need to just adjust with the times. You know, it's a different day and age now. Things look different. Like uh, scripture wasn't dealing with what we're dealing with. Man, that's a, that's a very slippery slope to go down. Because when you start picking and choosing which things in here to follow and which not, then what role does that play? Then, then, then do you play? You become God. You become the judge. You become the one determining those things. So slippery things that can move towards myths because of our, our itching ears. The challenge, it's a challenge to preach the word, to stay true to that, to stay focused on that laser attention. So the, th the, th the second thing, the idea of preaching, what we're called to do, preaching the word. The third one here in the text is to know your part. Know your part. If you're running a race, you want to know, hey, what part of, am I the last leg of the race? Am I the middle guy that's just trying to keep a steady pace? What, am I, what is it? And it points out a couple different things there in the text. The first one, keep your head straight, endure hard times, evangelize, and stay ministry focused. It says, as for you, your part in the race, look at the, at the text there, verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. The idea of sober-minded, a lot of people think when you say the word sober, they confuse that with somber, like we're supposed to be always serious and grouchy. Thank the Lord that's not what we're called to, right? Uh, and uh, what would Bill do? I don't know. <laughs> The, uh, the, the idea of, of sober, the idea of keeping your head on straight. Earlier in this, in this, uh, in this letter from Paul, he talked about, hey, don't get bent out of shape about the wrong stuff, debating over trivial things, arguing over stuff that we're not called to argue. Keeping your head straight, focused on the right things. So keep your head straight. The, the, the next one there, endure suffering, endure suffering. How often have we read that in this, this book from Paul? He's, he's like, trust me, I've been down that road to, uh, of suffering. You've got to just learn to endure it because it's part of the package. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. The idea of doing the work. Some people kind of fall under the umbrella of they're like, you know what, that's not really a, a gift of mine. I didn't get the gift of evangelism. And so I'll just leave that for the evangelists. Like, no, guess what? I read it. It says we all got to do it. Like the, the, the idea in the text is like, hey, do that work even if it's not natural to you. Do the work. Do the work. It doesn't matter what, a, what we want to do or don't want to do. I remember when Sienna finally got to the age where we had asked her to do something. That's our youngest with the little glasses. And she looked up and she said, I don't want to. I'm like, oh, ho, ho, there's that righteous anger again. The, uh, but but, but that, that, I, that idea of, hey, you're called to it. That's what we're, that's what's expected of us, doing the work of an evangelist. One, one pastor described it as, open the Bible, point to sin, point to Jesus. 
Open the Bible, point to sin, point to Jesus. That's really the summary of what we're calling people. It's just like, hey, recognize that we've all fallen short of that perfect standard. We've all blown it. But the, the, the Bible points to the fact that we're not left in that position where Jesus intervened. He came down, got in an earth suit, lived the perfect life, died as a sacrifice for our sins, as, as, as a payment, as a remedy to our, our, our sin problem. And, and, and so any of us can get comfortable with that message and able to do the work of an evangelist. Evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Then the last one there, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. I love this idea that each one of us has a unique ministry. God has you placed exactly where you're at for a reason. In your classrooms, like in your, in your circle of friends, at Warner Brothers. Like you're, you're placed where you're at for a reason. That's the ministry that he has called you to. What is your ministry? Do you even see it like that? Is that your, on, your, on your radar? Is that in your perspective? God has you placed there and hopefully gives you a passion for that. He's placed you there and hopefully as you walk close to him, he stirs up that passion like, man, yes, this is my ministry. I see it like that. I approach my days like that. So that's the call. Know your part. Keep your head straight. Endure hard times. Evangelize and stay ministry focused. This last point that he gives here in the text as, uh, as, he's, as he's talking to this younger runner. And I, I get the sense in this, this conversation, it's not like a, a bang your head. He's just like, brother, if I can look back and there's anything, these are the things that I'd say. Just stay the course. Keep running hard. It's not a beat up kind of thing. Take a look in verse six, what he says to him. This one I labeled, know the distance. It's a lifelong race. For I'm already being poured out, this is Paul talking, as a drink offering. And the time for my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I love that, that picture there. He gets it. He gets it that his time is, is winding down. It says that the time of my departure has come. There's a, I, I love the, this, this thought of, man, this, this isn't just like a, yeah, well, I, I do this till I hit 50. I, I want to propose that there's really no such thing in our walk with Christ as retirement. There's not retirement years and it's not like, man, once I get to here, 65, man, it's done. I'm just going to sit back and sip tequilas, you know, like there's, there's no verse in, in scripture pointing to that. What he's saying is like, man, this goes all the way until I'm sucking my very last breath till I'm sucking my very last breath. That doesn't mean that employment might look different and it might mean a different pace of life in the later years. Don't hear me saying like, get to work. Uh, like I, I, My point is this, is that our ministry that we're called to is, is a lifelong deal. He's, he's taking it to the very end. He's taking it to the very end. And he's, say, and he's saying, he's like, I want my life to be full. When, when it's all said and done, I want it fully poured out. I want it fully poured out, not a drip left in the cup. This image, this idea of a drink offerings from the Old Testament sacrificial system, they had a couple different types of offerings, a burnt offering, a grain offering, and then a drink offering. And the drink offering was this, it would be a cup. And literally this was the way that the offering went. They took the cup and poured it out to represent what? All in. 
Every part of me. This is, this is complete. I'm fully in. This is my, my degree of sacrifice is to represent fully, fully following. That's the, that's the image that he paints there. He says, hey, I've done that. I'm being poured out even as we speak as a drink offering. It's a pretty, pretty sad and gruesome image if you think about these are the date, last days before Paul. Do you guys know how, how Paul ended up, being, ended up dying? Ended up having his head chopped off. Kind of bring, brings this picture a little bit more to light, the idea of being, being poured out, like literally. Like he was about to be poured out for what he believed. But as he, as he reflects back, as he's looking back at his, his days and, and say, assessing it, look at, look at the words. And we've all seen this, this section of scripture as he reflects back on his life. He says this, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. I love those three pictures, fought the good fight. I, uh, I, I've been a, a casual outside observer of the, uh, some of the UFC stuff that goes down, the fighting, the idea of, of two men coming into a circle and going toe-to-toe, and the, the rules are, really, there aren't many, and, uh, and, and, and you're, you're fighting until what? Some, one person gets knocked out or one person says, I quit. Like, that's the idea. And just this image of like, you know what? I went into the octagon. The door shut behind me and I went toe-to-toe. I fought a good fight. That picture just resonates. Like, wouldn't you love to get to the end of your days and be like, I did it. I fought the good fight all the way to the finish. So he paints that picture of a fighter first. And then what? the next one there, uh, runners can appreciate this one, the finished the race, finished the race. My wife and I did uh, graduate school together, and it's supposed to be like a two and a half year program, and we did it in about seven. And uh, and so so we were on the extended version of that track. And uh, but I, I remember when you finally finished the race, like you're we're walking across the stage to get our diploma. You're just like. Thank you, Lord. There's an end to this. Like there's something that, that came to a, to, a, to a finish. There's something, a certain joy that comes when you've really run hard and you finish the race. That's what he's pointing to. to it. But then he didn't just finish the race. It says that he kept the faith. He protected it. He extended it. He kept it personally. This was something that he fought for all the way to the end. But I love how the, the text ends here, and we'll, we'll finish with this. The idea in the, in the text, what does it say at the end of that? He says, henceforth, in other words, because of that, because I've finished, because I've fought the fight, run the race, henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, remember again what we pointed out earlier about the Bema seat? The righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. This idea of there's something at the end of all of this. And I love the idea of the crown of righteousness. Anybody else looking forward to the, this idea of a like, I'm done with sin. No more. It's not, even part of my, it's not even part of my reality for eternity. That's the crown of righteousness. Talk about a reward to be done with all of this, this struggle and all this tug and this pull that the world has. That's the crown that's at the end of the line. The crown of righteousness, it's sitting there. I love that it's laid up. I, I picture that kind of just sitting on the shelf, just waiting for us to get there. We're, we're going to finish and we're going to go get that. One of the things I, I hate in exercising, I don't know if anybody else falls in this camp, but I'm not a big fan of treadmills 
or ellipticals or stairmasters or the bike or anything that doesn't have something that's actually getting you from one place to another. That's just never ending. Anybody else hate that? You're sitting on the treadmill and you're just going, 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 going. You're like, where is the finish line? Like there needs to be something. That's why I play basketball. I'm like, hey, there's a, I can see the hoop at the end of the court. I can get there. And so like if we rigged up a ball, maybe at the, on the elliptical, I might chase after that. But, but the picture here, the picture here is this last word of encouragement of like, hey, guess what? Yes, I'm calling you to run hard. I'm asking you to go full out, not, not a speed walk. I'm asking you to run hard. But guess what's at the end of the line? At the end of the line, there's a payoff. There's a payoff. There's reward at the end of thine. There's a crown of righteousness. There's the pr- being present with the Lord. It's something that those of us that have fallen, it's called the blessed hope. It's something that we're all clinging to, to being with our Lord and Savior one day. And that's what he points to in the text. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what's at the end of the line. That's when we, when we cross the tape, when we run and, and not limped and like just run into the tape. You know, I've seen the cartoon where somebody runs into the tape and they fall backwards because they're going so slow. No, like this is a picture of sprinting through that, that tape. You're breaking that tape at the full stride. That's what he's calling his younger brother to. And that's what he's calling the church to. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this text and this picture that you, you've painted from a, an older pastor and, and evangelist calling out to a younger man. And it's also an invitation to us as the body of Christ to run hard, to run hard, to keep going, to keep enduring, realizing who's watching, realizing who's watching. I'll tell you what, that changes everything to think that you're watching our actions, actions. God, I pray that that would be compelling for us, even going into our week, that that would be a motivator, knowing that being clear on what you've called us to, preach the word. Keep it simple. Stay to the truth of God's word, not in a a beat beat it over the, the head of someone, but with patience and an attitude of gentleness. God, I pray you'd give us wisdom on how to do that, how to navigate that. Help us to stay on track, not getting going to the side, to the right or the left. God, you've called us to run hard and to, to run straight. I thank you that there's a prize that we're running towards, God, and that prize being yourself. We love you and praise you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. The reality of that song is what keeps us able to run. That He doesn't let go. He keeps us going. One of the other things that we like as a church is that we can also help encourage each other to keep going. I want to invite up those that are able to, uh, some of the leaders to pray for anyone that's going through a difficult time. I know some of you are hearing this and you're like, run hard. You don't get it. I'm going through a really tough time. We'd love to be an encouragement to pray for you before you go today. Otherwise, I pray you have a fantastic week in the Lord. God bless you.